Nowadays, there's stuff, and there's stuff you don't need to know. A podcast that talks about geek and nerd culture and brings you the things that you want to hear about. What's up, know-it-alls? You get stuff you don't need to know. I'm Jay, and let's get down to it. So F9, the latest film in the Fast and the Furious franchise, just came out this weekend, and I am here to review it for you. So what I'm going to try to do is talk a few minutes without really giving too many spoilers, but when it is time to hit those, you know, to talk about those spoilers, uh, I'll hit the old red alert there and let you know when the spoilers are coming. So... I've mentioned it a few times on this podcast. I'm a fan of this franchise. I really, really am. I remember watching the first movie and, you know, okay, fine. It's kind of cool. Oh, the second one came out and, you know, I really think it was around uh, Fast Five when I really, really got into this franchise. And not for nothing, uh, Fast Five was definitely, first of all, I think it's one of the, the best films, you know, in this franchise. And it's definitely sort of like the turning point. It's sort of the linchpin for this saga because it went from simply a movie about street racing to really kind of converting it over to the films that we know and love now, which are like these massive heist, sort of like international spy terrorist kind of action dramas with just over-the-top ridiculous ridiculousness and, you know, just a massive ensemble cast. And like I said, you know, from its humble beginnings, from ripping off combination uh, TV VCRs in trucks to uh, going to space, I mean, you know, that's not really a spoiler. I think everybody knows this is the one where they go to space. Um, Fast and the Furious has definitely done it all. And like I said, I mean, I really think this is a great franchise. And let me just take a few minutes to kind of tell you why I think that. I mean, first of all, I, I, I love the action in these movies. And I know a lot of people say, well, the action is ridiculous. You know, it defies the laws of physics. You know, you're not supposed to do these things. Nobody's supposed to do these things. It's kind of the point. I'm going to the movies to sort of escape reality, not sort of, I am going to the movies to escape reality. And when, you know, a film kind of does that, like totally escapes reality by, you know, I guess the way, I guess really the best way to look at it is it's supposed to be grounded in realism, but it's not, you know, it's set in the real world, but there's no magic or heroes or mutants or anything like that. It's regular, regular, everyday people that can just literally do the impossible. And I think that's kind of one of the things that I like about it. Uh, another thing that I really, really like about this saga is, is the fact that while, especially after, like I said, after Fast Five, we kind of moved on from ripping off DVD players and racing culture and this and that to really getting into these international, you know, terrorist and spy, you know, heist kind of thriller things. But really at the heart of it is, There's no political agenda here at all. You know, if anything, it's just there's a big bad who typically just wants to kind of like take over the world. You know, it's almost kind of like taking um, the James Bond franchise and really spicing it up and really, really kicking it up a notch where in James Bond, it wasn't. I mean, I mean, there were a couple of movies, I think, where it was like, oh, you know, it's 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 those Russians again where, you know, later on it kind of moved to like, you know, a businessman that wants to take over the world. It was always somebody that wants to take over the world or control the world's market of 
gold or you know whatever it is and here in the fast the fast and the furious movies it's kind of the same thing especially once we get past fast five it's sort of like you know just some sort of like cyber terrorist or you know just some power hungry person that just wants to control everything and there's really you know no agenda to it uh, another great thing about these movies is, yeah, I know it's cheesy and I know it's corny and I know it's what they're known for, but it's this theme of family from that from its humble beginnings with the barbecue in the backyard and, and the first Fast and the Furious movies. And again, you know, we get that all the way through. And yeah, it's kind of corny. It's kind of cheesy, but it's also incredibly endearing. And my God. Do they stick to that in these films? That theme of family, that theme of togetherness, you know, the the all for one and one for all kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's sappy and it's a bit overdone. But you know what? I, I don't think we could ever get too much of that. And I just love, again, especially after Fast Five, I really, really love this franchise's dedication to this notion of family. It's just, it's just so amazing and it's just so, so wonderful. And yeah, I mean, these are the reasons why I love the Fast and the Furious franchise. And, you know, I really think, you know, you know what you're getting when you go to these films. You're going to get ridiculous action. You're going to get a subpar plot. And, you know, yeah, the timeline and, and, and the through line and the and the through story does get convoluted and turned and twisted. And, yes, you know, there's ways. I mean, I'm sure, again, this is not really a spoiler. We see it in the trailer. Han's back. And people are like, wait a minute. How is Han back? You know, how, how did he even come back in Fast Five? You know, and now he's here in F9. You know, we saw this guy die. How many times has he died? You know, how is he back? How are all these people back from the dead? You know, Letty came back. And, you know, now Han comes back. And again, you know, this is not a spoiler. We do see it in the trailer. Don has a brother, you know, we don't bother for nine or 10 films to talk about it, but Dominic Toretto has a younger brother and, and his name is John Cena. You know, so it's, it's just, I, I mean, I, I really think you cannot take these films seriously but I think you can seriously, seriously enjoy them. And, you know, I, I really do hope that if you've never, first of all, if you've never watched any of these movies, please give them a try and just don't expect a lot. I mean, I, I shouldn't say don't expect a lot. If you're really looking for a, a, a down and gritty and realistic type of film, these are not the, these are not those films. You know, if you just want to have a good time, you know, you want to see a good action film. You know, you want to see, you know, like I, I hate to say it, you want to kind of see some heartwarming tales about family and whatnot. Definitely check these films out. And I really think you should check out the latest one, which is F9. So I think it's about that time, you know, when Captain Picard is going to come on and tell us to put the shields up. Red alert, because the spoilers are coming. Red alert. All hands to battle stations. Engage. All right, so let's just get into it. Um, you know, went and saw this in the theaters. Actually, I saw it in IMAX because I was like, you know what? If I'm going to see this movie, I'm going to go big or I'm going to go home. So I saw it in IMAX and I was not disappointed at all. Movies like this are definitely made for IMAX for like that large screen, 
that incredibly sharp, crisp, clear picture and color, the surround sound, which is a 3D, I don't even know what it is anymore. I mean, you know, this IMAX and Dolby surround 3D sound system or whatever, I mean, these are the movies that are made for that. You know, big, big budget action films are made for this type of thing. And I'm really, really glad that I spent the few extra dollars to go and see it in IMAX. So I think the big questions that people have is, is, you know, first of all, Dom has a brother. How did this happen and where did this come from? And we go all the way back. In this film, we get to see a young Dominic Toretto. We get to see a young Jacob who is his brother, you know, we get to see them. Uh, we get to see their father, Jack Toretto, who was played by an actor by the name, I believe his name is J.D. Pardo, who um, he's one of the key actors on uh, the FX series Mayans, um, which was a spinoff of Sons of Anarchy. And, um, you know, we kind of see, you know, how how all this went down. We get a little more insight into the death of of uh, Jack Toretto, Dom's father. If you remember in the first movie, he said that, you know, um, he was on the stock car circuit. He was kind of a big name coming up last race of the season. And, you know, one of the guys kind of runs him into the wall and, you know, the car flips over, basically explodes into a fireball and his father dies right there. Of course, if you remember from that first film, he tells Brian, you know, that's when he picked up a wrench and just started beating the guy until he just couldn't lift his arm anymore. And uh, that's why he spent some time in jail. So what we see is actually, you know, we get a little more, like I said, we get a little more insight into it. Uh, we see that Dom and his brother Jacob work the pit for his dad. And we see that, um, you know, it's kind of like the it's like it's this last race of the season. It's the final few laps. But, you know, Jack Toretto, even though he's kind of got it in the bag, and I think they also kind of say that, like, he's he quite possibly, um, he quite possibly, you know, due to uh, his performance in this sort of, like, stock car series, might make it up to the Bush series, which is sort of like, you know, way back when, was sort of like the minor league for NASCAR. You know, the Bush series was kind of like a step down from, you know, NASCAR's main event. And, you know, they're sort of like, you got it in the bag. What's it? He's like, no, 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 I got to finish it out, something like that. And he pulls out, his opponent hits him, he flips, the car explodes. And, you know, we, we basically see what happens there. Um, like I said, a lot of flashbacks in this. We get to see a lot of, like, you know, younger versions of some of the characters because we see that Dom ends up in jail. And, of course, you know, being the Fast and Furious franchise, he ends up in a, in a prison where he gets to work on cars. I don't know if it's some sort of vocational training thing. I don't know if it's sort of like a work release program or whatever it is. While he's working on it, he see, we see younger versions of Leo and Santos. Now, Leo and Santos, of course, appeared at the end of uh, the Fast and the Furious 4 and were players in uh, Fast 5. Uh, they were the brothers. Uh, you know, they did the explosions. They were constantly arguing with one another uh, over basically how to make explosive devices, how to drive, how to cook, this and that. And we see, you know, we see the two of them there and they're talking with Dom and Dom is fixing an engine. And listen, you know, I drive a car. I really don't know much more than that. But they, they, they say something about like something with a cylinder and a hole in a cylinder and, you know, letting air in and, um, 
I don't know if it's Leo. I don't know if it's Santos. I forget which one. But they basically say like, yeah, you know, it's 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 kind of hard to see, but you know, basically, it's a way to kind of short out a spark plug. It's like if you want to fix, and they basically say if you want to fix a race, this is what you do because it's not something that you really really notice, but it could happen. They say, but there's a danger to it because basically, if too much air gets in or something like that, you basically can ever end up with a big fireball. Dominic is like, what? And he realizes that right before his father, you know, took that final lap and was hit and the car exploded, his brother Jacob was working on the car. So he's like, why did Jacob do this? So, you know, we cut to him getting out and we see, uh, you know, young Jacob, uh, you know, and, and again, they kind of say it a few times, you know, in these flashback scenes that he's Dom's little brother. He lives in Dom's shadow. He's kind of the loser brother, the loser son and whatever. And he's kind of making a name for himself in street racing. Dom shows up and basically challenges him to a race and basically says, you know, why did you do it? Why did you do this to our father? Jacob's very defiant. He's like, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know anything. And he's like, well, we're going to have a race. If I win, he goes, if you win, you can come home. But if I win, you keep driving. You never come back. Of course, it's a quarter mile race. We know who's going to win. And I love how it comes down to, you know, who pushes. It's sort of like playing chicken with the NOS button. It's like, who pushes it last because, you know, it, it's that final stretch. They both got their fingers on the button. And then Jacob's like, I'm going to press it. And he presses it. And it's, you know, that classic line that we hear in the Fast and the Furious, too soon, Junior. And Dom pushes it. He wins the race. And Jacob drives off into the night, never to be seen again, really until the events of this movie unfold. We come to find out Jacob kind of went on to become sort of like the anti-Dom, where he becomes sort of like this international sort of like spy, thief kind of a thing. You know, that's his world. You know, Dom was the master of uh, street racing and and now kind of works for Mr. Nobody or whoever. Like, we're really never quite sure about that. But, you know, really with with the events of the last few films, he does work for Mr. Nobody. Uh, It is Mr. Nobody, played by Kurt Russell, that kind of pulls him back into it. And, you know, Jacob is now kind of like his big competitor or sort of like the big bad at the beginning of this film. You know, we see that Dom and Letty uh, with Dominic's son, Brian, you know, they kind of retired, living a quiet life out on a farm, really in the middle of nowhere. Because at one point, Letty comes out and it's like the hot water heater's broken. And Dom's like, hey, it's the price we paid uh, for solitude and peace and quiet, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we see a car coming up, you know, they're not expecting anybody, you know, they have Brian Hyde, this is young Brian, um, Dom's son, you know, they have Brian Hyde, and then it turns out it's, uh, it's Tej, it's, it's, um, Roman and, uh, Ramsey, and basically they say, like, look, Mr. Nobody, uh, his flight was hijacked, uh, he sent a distress signal, and Dom's like, well, you know, I'm out of that life, and he's like, yeah, you know, Tej tells him, here's the thing, he sent it specifically to us and it's sort of like you know come on we owe the guy you know we work for him he's helped us out so much let's get into it dom's like i've retired from that life letty really feels that she hasn't she goes with them dom kind of comes to the realization you know and he he joins them uh we find out that there's a device and it's always there's always a device there's always some kind of crazy device if you remember um i think it was seven 
I believe it was seven, where uh, Ramsey, who, you know, now is part of the crew, she developed something called the God's Eye, which was supposed to be able to track anybody, you know, through every cellular and computer network, through facial recognition, instantly be able to track them. You know, we always have something like that. And this one, it's the Ares, the God of War. And basically, it's this hexagonal cube, which is broken to two pieces because we can never put it together. Because if you put it together, oh, my God, chaos will ensue. And basically, uh, it can control every any type of computer system, Ramsey tells us. If it operates on zeros and ones, this can control it. And basically, she says that if it's uploaded to a satellite, the satellite uh, can then infect every other satellite in the world. And basically, whoever controls the Ares can basically control every computer system, which means weapon system, which means that, you know, whoever controls it, they could launch nuclear strikes or, you know, if... Another country wanted to, you know, use some technical part of their military. It's like, well, you can't without my permission, you know, you got to pay me, basically. So we have this, you know, Aries thing that we have to kind of go out and get and figure out what it is and stop it and whatnot. And, you know, I mean, again, you know, it, it, it's not like, you know, oh, my God, the Russians stole it. The Chinese, the North Koreans stole it. It's, you know, there's some big, bad person out there who wants to control everything or make a lot of money or whatever you know there again there's no politics here there's no agenda here it's just basically rule the world make tons of money like this is what we're after we find out that not only was a piece of the Aries on the flight that Mr. Nobody was on but uh Cypher played by Charlize Theron uh she was taken into custody Mr. Nobody I guess had apprehended her he was taking her to a maximum security prison and, you know, now she's gone missing as well. So the team head out to, I believe, you know, I, I don't know the exact country, but it's basically it's 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 a small country in, in Latin America, Central or South America. They go to the crash site and, you know, which, OK, you know, this plane went down a day or two ago, like nobody's checked this thing out. Well, you know, they go in there, they find a secret vault, of course, you know, Ramsey, no problem. She opens it. They find the one half of the um, they find the one half of the uh, Aries. And then, you know, um, this is uh, this is like when they get chased, they get chased by, you know, the military. And then, you know, who shows up? Oh, my God, it's Jacob. It's Jacob Toretto, who Dom knew. Dom knew that he was going to be there because of something that he saw in in the uh, SOS message from Mr. Nobody. Letty's like, you knew you knew he was going to be here. And everybody's like, what's this? Who's this? Who's this guy now? Uh, he kind of looks like a former professional wrestler. And, you know, this is where we get the reveal, you know, it's Jacob Toretto and, you know, he's everything that Dom is, you know, and blah, blah, blah. But again, I think introducing Jacob, yeah, you know, it's a bit of a stretch. It's a bit of a stretch with logic. I mean, why has his name never come up? This and that. Who cares? Who who really cares? You know, obviously, John Cena is here to replace Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson, as you know, look, he from Fast Five up until... um I think he was in the eighth. Yeah, he was in the eighth movie, and that was he kind of said after that, like he's going to focus on the Hobbs and Shaw spinoffs. He's not really going to come back to the Fast and Furious movies. Um, you know, he's he had he and Vin didn't get along, and some of the other actors, and not for nothing. 
Vin Diesel has really taken over this franchise. You know, um, he's executive producer on it. He has a lot of input into it. I'm going to talk more about that a little bit later. And I think the big thing is, is you know, these this franchise does attract a lot of big names. I mean, Helen Mirren's in it as Queenie. Uh, she's the mother of Deckard Shaw, you know, the Shaw brothers, Deckard Shaw, of course, played by Jason Statham. Uh, Kurt Russell, of course, is Mr. Nobody, Shirley's Theron as uh, Cypher, you know, and we get a lot of cameos. We get a lot of famous people in it. But if you really, really think about it, this is Vin Diesel's franchise. There's really nobody in this franchise that kind of outshines him. Yes, Kurt Russell and Helen Mirren and Charlize Theron are much bigger names than him, much bigger actors. They have incredibly small parts. Vin Diesel as Dominic Toretto, he is the mainstay of this franchise. And, you know, when Dwayne Johnson as Luke Hobbs was introduced in Fast Five, I thought it was great. I was like, wow, yeah, this makes a ton of sense, you know, to get him in there and make him part of the team and everything. But the thing is, I think the big difference is, I should say, is, you know, Dwayne Johnson doesn't need the Fast and Furious to kind of help move his career along, but Vin Diesel does. I mean, without without the Fast and Furious franchise, you really wouldn't be talking about Vin Diesel now, you know? Uh, yeah, you know, he did the, the Chronic of Riddick, uh, you know, the, the Chronicles of Riddick, and uh, he did that kind of like stock movie, something like Boiler Room, I think it was called. I mean, you know, he, he he wasn't really a household name. I mean, this is why he's a household name because of this franchise. And that's the thing is, yeah, they get a ton of actors in this and there's a massive ensemble cast, but he's the star. He's the centerpiece. And I think by replacing uh, Dwayne Johnson with John Cena, I really think that's a good thing to do because John Cena... And again, he's a very, very popular guy. He's starting to make it in movies, you know, kind of following, you know, the path of a Dwayne Johnson and a Dave Bautista. He's not quite at that level yet. So it's pretty good, you know. And again, even though it's like, oh, my God, mystery brother John Cena, he's really not in that many scenes. I mean, you get a lot more of Vin Diesel than you do of John Cena. John Cena doesn't overplay his hand. He he plays like a very kind of stoic character. If you saw Bumblebee, it's kind of along the lines of that, you know, where he's like a very serious and straightforward kind of guy. And, you know, they really, by the end of this movie, they kind of set it up that, yeah, he's going to become part of the team. He's going to come back to the family and everything. But there's going to be some reservations there. You know, a lot of time has passed since the death of their father. And, you know... He's not he's not going to overstep. He's definitely not going to outshine Vin Diesel. Um, I don't know how many people know this or not. You know, like I said, this is the ninth movie in the Fast and Furious franchise. You know, Hobbs and Shaw is something different. That's a spinoff. Um, Vin Diesel, Justin Lin, all of them uh, have said that there are going to be two more films. You know, they're going to wrap it up with Fast and Furious 11, whatever, you know, whatever they're going to call that. And then that's it, and they're all done with it. And, uh, yeah, so I think for those last two films, I really don't think that John Cena, if he's going to be in the last two films, and I don't see why he wouldn't, or at least, you know, appear in the next one in Fast 10, he's definitely not going to outshine Vin Diesel at all. Um, so let's talk more about this movie. Uh, one of the things I think was really, really great about it, so early on I talked and I said that, you know, kind of the hallmark of this thing is just the ridiculous the ridiculousness of 
the action sequences and the timelines. And I just really, I mean, if you really look at it, I mean, this is a pretty ridiculous series to begin with. And I think what was really, really great is early on in this early action sequence when they're trying to find Mr. Nobody and they find this one half of the Ares device, there's a scene where uh, Roman, of course, played by Tyrese, um, he's kind of cornered by like 12 soldiers and, you know, all he has is an AK-47 and he gets into this firefight, you know, one on 12 and he wins. And yes, he's wearing a bulletproof vest and he realizes that. But, you know, later on, you know, after, you know, kind of this battle and they get away and, you know, we discover Jacob and all this, he says to Tej and Ramsey, He's like, he shows them his jacket. He's like, look at all these bullet holes, and I don't have a scratch on me. He goes, think about all the billions of insane things that we've done, and he references some things about, you know, taking on the plane, and he's like, I'm not even going to talk about fighting a submarine, but they did. They fought a submarine, and he said, I never have a scratch on me. He goes, you know what that means? <laughs> I am invincible, and that's the thing is throughout this throughout the series or throughout this movie, I should say, it's like the film becomes self-referential and kind of points out how ridiculous all of this is. You know, it's kind of an ongoing debate between between Roman and Tej about you know reality versus absurdity. Where, you know, you have Roman who, you know, started off as one of my favorite characters in Too Fast, Too Furious. Um, I absolutely loved his introduction. I really, really thought back when I saw it, like, this is going to be the new franchise. It's going to be Brian and Roman with Tej as kind of like the ringleader. And, you know, you had this kind of nice ensemble cast that they could build upon in Miami and go from there. I always loved the introduction of Roman. Roman has definitely one of my favorite characters throughout this series. Um, another one I'll talk about in a minute. Um, but Roman is definitely one of my favorite characters. He's he's the comic relief, but he's so much more than that. And I love that he keeps pointing this out throughout this movie, how ridiculous all this is. You know, Han's alive. This is absolutely ridiculous and possible, but hey, this is how we roll. Basically saying, hey, guys. This is how the Fast and Furious does it. We get into crazy fights, nobody gets hurt. We do impossible stunts that defy the laws of physics, and yet we pull it off. And, oh, by the way, people that you see blown up and killed, well, they're back now as if nothing happened to them. Don't worry about it. This is how we do it. Then you have Tej, who's our tech guy, you know, throughout all of this. And he's like, the numbers don't lie, (laughs) Roman, you know, physics, man. Like, when they're in outer space... You know, that's what he's saying. It's the numbers. It's the physics. It's this. It's that. And then, of course, you know, I'm just going to jump around here. When that we do have that final thing in the end where it's it's Tej and Roman in, in a car in outer space and they have to take out a satellite and Roman, I'm sorry, and Tej is like, you know, oh, my God, the numbers, they're, we're all done with them in physics and science. It's out the window. And Roman just goes, what have I been telling you? It's the ridiculous and it's the absurd. And with their rocket car, they basically ram into the satellite. They save the day. And of course, because you're going to wonder, okay, they're stuck in outer space. How are they getting out of this? Is Mr. Nobody with his mystery rocket or whatever? No, 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 no. They're found by the International Space Station because, of course, they will. Because like Roman said, that's just how we do it. <laughs> you know, this is how the family does it. 
Forget logic, forget science, forget reason, you know, forget continuity. Just forget all of that. This is the Fast and Furious, and this is how we do it. And this is why we go to the movies, people. We, we want to go to be entertained. And, you know, these movies, and especially this latest one, it really goes out of its way to entertain us. But let me kind of get back to the movie. So Han is alive. How did this happen? Mr. Nobody. A friend of mine, Alan, uh, over at the Nerd and Me podcast, one of the things he he kind of says, and um, you know, especially with the the new Marvel stuff that came out with WandaVision and with Loki, he's sort of like you know time travel. That's just how we're going to fix you know plot holes and continuity continuity errors. We're just going to say time travel. Time travel will fix everything. In the Fast and Furious franchise, it's Mister Nobody. Mister Nobody will fix everything for you. Basically, what Han tells them is, is, you know, hey, after Giselle died and I kind of bummed around and I went to Tokyo, Mr. Nobody reached out to me. And we get a nice little scene with Kurt Russell where he's like, Giselle was one of my top operatives. She worked well with you. You worked well with her. She trusted you, which means I can trust you. So he becomes an operative for Mr. Nobody in Tokyo. So basically... He's the one that finds the Ares device. We find out that there's two halves and there's a key, the key being the DNA of a little girl because her parents developed it. And in order to activate the Ares device, you need to use their DNA just just by touching it. And, you know, the parents were killed. Han finds a little girl. He swears to protect her because he knows that she's going to be a target for the rest of her life because she is the key. And the thing is, is Mr. Nobody realizes that Deckard Shaw has found, you know, is coming after Han. And he's like, perfect opportunity to kill Han off, to hide him until we need him later. And that's just how we do it. And, you know, even like I said, Roman, our guy who's like, you know, it's absurd, it's ridiculous, but this is how we do it. He even says, okay, that's a pretty cool trick. You know, how do you go from blowing yourself up to being alive? And he's just like, Mr. Nobody can make the impossible happen. So where in the Marvel franchise, you know, uh uh-oh, we have a continuity error time travel fast and furious franchise we have a massive continuity error mr nobody mr nobody will come in and he will fix everything and again i have absolutely no problem with it because they don't even bother to be subtle about it and i think that's why i really enjoy it they really don't try to hide it they don't try to hide the fact that everything is ridiculous in these films everything is over the top they just try to keep go more and more over the top they try to go more and more ridiculous and now they even start to reference themselves by saying isn't this absurd isn't this ridiculous this is how it is people and that's exactly what it is and like i said this is why we go back to the movies it's just they're dumb these movies are dumb you know there are plot holes galore there are plot holes so big you know, this this massive three-stage truck that we see at the end, you could just drive it right through these plot holes. But, you know, the fact that they just don't care, they're just like, plot holes, who cares? We're just going for it. Just come along for the ride. Spend two and a half hours with us. We're going to blow stuff up. We're going to have a ton of practical effects. We're going to have really bad and cheesy acting, ridiculous stunts. And you know what? You're going to love it. And it's true. I do. I mean... One of the biggest thrills I got is we see, you know, the big heist at the end and Dom is going like Dom's like, I got Jacob and he's going after John Cena. And we see John Cena doing a zip line all throughout London, basically zip lining to something, finding another zip line gun, shooting it at another landmark. And he's zip lining through all throughout London. Dom is in his, you know, Dodge Charger, or, you know, his American muscle car of, of the movie. And he's driving around. 
And he's looking and he's following. He sees it. And of course, because he's just such a master tactician, he stops. He realizes something. We see him run into a building. We see him, you know, pulling like some assassin, Assassin's Creed like maneuvers here, running on the rooftops, this and that. We then cut to kind of like a wide shot of Jacob ziplining, you know, just ziplining wherever. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you know, stage left, here comes Dominic Toretto diving from a roof, tackling him and tackling him through a window into like an auction house or something. And they get into a massive fight there because this is the Fast and Furious people and this is how we do it. I mean, so basically, look, you know, we know what's going to happen. You know, Cypher, you know, uh, uh, let me back up a little bit. So John Cena is funded by a man named Otto. Oh, actually, before I get into that, Let's not forget that when Jacob, John Cena, I'm just going to call him John Cena. So when John Cena kind of left the Toretto family there and drove off into the night, he drove right into the arms of Mr. Nobody. Mr. Nobody said, wow, kid, you're going to be a perfect agent for me. And basically, kind of, I guess, the length of this whole saga, you know, he was a special agent for Mr. Nobody until he decided to go rogue. Probably when Mr. Nobody started working with Dom. Like he even tells, he goes, how do you think Mr. Nobody found you? Which is great. Yeah. How did Mr. Nobody find Dominic Toretto? It was because of Jacob Toretto, who we never knew existed until now. It's it's all, Mr. Nobody will take care of everything. Don't worry about it. So basically, you know, he's funded by this guy named Otto, whose father is a politician from some unnamed European nation. Germany, maybe, or Liechtenstein, or Luxembourg. Well, we never really know. And basically, his motivation is: is I want to, I, I, you know, you know, his father kind of keeps him under wraps, and you know, won't let him do anything. So he's like, I'm going to become more rich and powerful than my father and rule the world. Wah ha 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 ha. But however, he double crosses John Cena. He partners with Cipher, Charlize Theron. And, you know, that's what we get at the end is we get him being double crossed. You know, you know, you know, I mean, you've watched enough of these films, you know, the bad guy always turns around and joins the team. That's just how it is. And that's the other thing I love is that the ensemble cast here just keeps expanding outwards and outwards and outwards. Like I said, Han is back. It's incredibly awesome. Han, definitely one of my favorite characters. We get the guys from Tokyo Drift, we get Lucas Black, who played, I think his name was Sean, Little Bow Wow, who is probably just Bow Wow now, who was Twinkie in that movie, and some other guy. They're just there. They're building rocket cars because, sure, why not? <laughs> like I said, we get Leo and Santos uh, from Fast and Furious 4 and, and Fast 5. They're back uh, at the end. I think it's Santos. Santos shows up at the end at the big barbecue because you always got to have that big barbecue at the end. And it's just really anybody that's ever been in one of these films, there's always a chance of them kind of popping back in. So that's why right now I'm going to petition, you know, Vin Diesel, because I'm sure he absolutely listens to every single podcast, you know, that's connected to any one of his films. So Vin Diesel, if you're listening, if you remember from that first Fast and Furious movie, there was Leon, who was part of your crew, who said maybe three lines in the whole, you know, in the whole movie. He just kind of faded into obscurity. He didn't die. He wasn't arrested. He kind of just disappeared. Could we bring him back? Going back to that first Fast and Furious movie, Jesse, you know, the guy that kind of looked like, you know, he was like a poor man's Giovanni Ribisi. Yeah, we saw him get shot in front of your house, but nobody dies in these films. Bring Jesse back. You know, it was just a flesh wound. Jesse's fine. He's coming back. Bring him back. 
Uh, Ava Longoria, you know, even though she was only in Too Fast, Too Furious, not Ava Longoria, oh my God, Eva Mendez, sorry, who was in Too Fast, Too Furious, she even made a cameo at the end of one of the other films where she tells Hobbs that Letty is alive. I mean, let's just bring them all back. But in this film, we've added even, we added even more. Han is protecting a young girl by the name of Elle, who's now a young woman who Han taught how to take care of herself. So she basically kicks ass. She is now part of the team, just like Ramsey is now just part of the team. And like I said, I just love these movies. I really, really like this one. It's definitely not the best movie in the franchise. I still say that Fast Five and probably, believe it or not, Too Fast, Too Furious. Too Fast, Too Furious, I just have a real soft spot for that film. Fast Five, of course, an incredible, incredible film. Uh, this one, definitely a lot better than Fate of the Furious, the last movie, the eighth movie. Uh, that one I really wasn't too big of a fan of. I mean, yeah, I liked it. It was good. I mean, you had Tormund Giant Spain in that. I mean, you can't go wrong when you have Tormund Giant Spain in your movie. But, uh, you know, definitely, you know, F9 was definitely better than Eight of the Furious, but it's definitely no Fast Five. Um, but still, I think you're going to love it. You're going to enjoy it. And of course, you know, because this is just cinema nowadays, there is a mid or end credit scene. And in it, we see Deckard Shaw working out in some nondescript location. And we see that he's got somebody inside his heavy bag there. He's beating him for information that he already has. There's a knock on the door. He's like, there's a knock on the door. Who could it be? It's Han. And then that's it. So what does that set up? So like I said, uh, Luke Hobbs, Dwayne Johnson, he won't be coming back to any of the Fast and the Furious movies, but he will work on the Hobbs and Shaw films. I think that Jason Statham will probably jump back and forth between both. He'll work on Hobbs and Shaw, and I do think we'll see some of him here in the Fast and Furious movies, or Han could be joining him, and we could see Han kind of jumping back and forth between these last couple Fast and Furious movies and into the Hobbs and Shaw films. You know, is Han there for revenge? Is Han there because, hey, Mr. Nobody needs us? You know, hey, I have some key information for you about that mystery person that you and Hobbs discovered at the end of your movie. You know, who knows? All I know, it was really, really awesome because he just has Han has just such a look on his face. You're like, oh, wow, this could go either way. He could be there to kill Shaw or he could be there to be like, let's let bygones be bygones, family, this and that. You know, who knows? Lots of speculation, but it's definitely a lot of fun. One thing I really did enjoy, though, is uh, at the end, of course, like I said, like a lot of these films, it ends with the big barbecue, you know, the big family barbecue there. And we see a place being left open. And Mia, of course, you know, saying, don't worry, he'll be here in a minute. We hear the revving of an engine. We see the skyline coming down. We know that that's Brian's car. We see him pull in. Because Brian is still alive, you know, while Paul Walker did pass away, you know, during the filming of um, the seventh movie, the character of Brian is still alive. He is retired now, but he is still alive and they keep him alive. They keep his memory alive in these films, which I think is an absolutely beautiful and amazing thing. Because if you, after Paul Walker died and when um, Fast and Furious 7 was released, Watch interviews with Vin Diesel, with Michelle Rodriguez, with with uh, Ludacris and, uh, you know, with Tyrese, you know, they they loved him. They, you know, this this is one big family, you know, all jokes aside, you know, you you watch these movies and, and this whole notion of family comes up and, you know, the barbecue and the Corona and this and that. But, you know, 
when you're filming these movies, when you make, you know, six, seven, uh, you know, these movies together almost every other year, like you're coming together to make these films, you're either going to really love each other or you're really going to hate each other. You definitely become a family. And, you know, Paul Walker was that key family member that did pass away. I mean, you saw, I remember reading that, you know, Michelle Rodriguez kind of went on a bender after he, you know, she had been sober for a while after Paul Walker passed away, you know, she admitted to slipping back into drugs and alcohol. Vin Diesel was hit really hard. I remember on um, the opening day of, of uh, Fast and Furious 7, and uh, Tyrese was on one of the various morning shows, and he was giving an interview about it. And you could see that when they got to the subject of Paul Walker, you could really see him getting very, very serious. And, and you could tell that he was still very, very heartbroken that his, that his good friend Paul had passed away. And I think it's great that they keep Brian's memory alive in these films. And I don't think they're going to do anything. You know, there's talk that one of his brothers can kind of step in and and, and kind of play him or what. Please don't do that. I didn't. I, I actually like the fact that they're like, don't worry, he's on his way. And we see his, you know, the skyline, his signature car, you know, pulling, pulling into the driveway. That's all I need. That's perfect. That's great. And I love it. And I just want to say. I'm really, really glad that Justin Lin came back to this franchise. You know, he to me, he is the heart and soul of this franchise. John Singleton did an awesome job directing Too Fast, Too Furious. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I really, really love that film is that, you know, that's a John Singleton film. Justin Lin took over shortly after that. He did all the way up to Fast and Furious 6. And then he did not like the way they handled not so much the death of Han, but the fact that, you know, at the time we were like, wait a minute, Jason Statham's character Shaw killed Han. And then in the next film, you know, after they defeat him, you know, in Fast and Furious 8, they're sort of like, yeah, you killed our buddy Han. But, you know, we need your help to take out Cypher. And you know what? Hey, you rescued you rescued Dom's baby. It's all good, man. Don't worry about it. Justin Lin was furious about that. He was like, you know, that is a ton of disrespect. You know, he's like, I know how these films go. The bad guy always kind of jumps. He goes, but but you can't just let Shaw off like that. He killed your friend. Yeah, he helped you out, but he killed your friend in cold blood, as far as we knew. So he wanted to come back, and he wanted to make sure that Han came back. Han is back. Mr. Nobody will take care of everything. The Coronas are cold. There's chicken on the barbecue. The skyline's pulling into the driveway. Don't worry about a thing. These movies are great. F9 is great. Definitely go see it. And guys, do me a favor. Head on over to Instagram. Stuff you don't need to know is there. Post pictures about the content that I talk about. Know it all. Thanks for listening. And I will talk to you guys later. (laughs) 